Well, good morning. Uh, We're going to be in John chapter 3 this morning. John chapter 3 this morning. So a church is the people. It's not the building. It's the people. Uh, the video, the showing the walls. The, the people are the walls of this place. The people in the past, the people now, the people to come. They are the bricks and the stones of this place. But the word is the foundation. And the people can only build on it what the word places before them. And as much as we want to build straight and true, if we do not stand on the word, our best intentioned building will be off plumb. And it won't matter how fun it is or how great it is or how caring it is, it will be outside of what Christ calls us to come to. You come to this morning in a culture where the very notion, the very idea of truth is under assault. And I say under assault, uh, really meaning has been conquered and already killed and thrown out. The assault started in the 1800s in the West. If you think the assault on truth was just in the last few years, it's because you have conveniently not been paying attention. Western culture's been asleep at the wheel since the 1800s in this matter. Truth has been under assault since the 1800s. It came out fully alive, robust, and taking no prisoners in the 60s, and we find it now victorious. The notion of truth is all but gone in the common thought. And the picture of what the people of God are going to have to do to stand on the truth is foolish to think, well, we'll just reclaim the space we lost. You have to reseed the idea of truth. It's not just going to be winning an election or getting a court. Those are easy ways to fool yourself. The battle will be much deeper because the battle will be about truth. And by the way, if you don't like truth plainly spoken, and this is your first time here, my name is Greg Pinkner. <laughs> this may not be the sermon for you. We have one comfort, and it's that truth is undefeatable. The culture can think it killed it and thrown it outside, but all it did was just choose to ignore it. Winston Churchill famously said, the truth is incontrovertible. Malice may attack it. Ignorance may deride it, both of which we're seeing. Malice may attack it, ignorance may deride it, but in the end, there it is. And it's with that notion that we come to the text this morning, the text of the book of John. John is writing about Jesus Christ, and he has some very specific things to say about him, and saying things that saying about him to that culture, he's also speaking it to our culture today, because these things are eternal because they are the truth. They are the bedrock, not just of the church or of Christianity, but of the universe we live in. When John tries to describe the notion of Jesus coming, in John chapter 1, verse 14, he says this, and the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace 
and truth. And let's not kid ourselves, modern Christianity, you do not get grace without truth. That it will require kneeling to the truth to understand the grace. They are one and the same things. And John sets out to put into play the very idea of what happens to a worldview, to a person, to a man, when grace and truth come straight face to face with him. And it's the story of Nicodemus in John chapter three. In John chapter three, John records this meeting between Jesus and Nicodemus. In John chapter three, verse one, he says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And in the first sentence, the whole scene is set for those who understand what's going on in the sentence. First of all, number one, Nicodemus is a powerful, rich, righteous man. He has it all. The first thing you should know is that his name, Nicodemus, means the conqueror. So his parents were very convinced that he was going to be good from the start. You don't just name your kid conqueror and then go, eh, he'll figure it out, right? This dude is rich. He's a member of the Jewish Senate. When it says a ruler of the Jews, it means he's in the Jewish, basically, Senate. He is powerful, he's connected, and he's also a Pharisee. And a Pharisee was a member of the most strict religious sect of Judaism there is at the time. So John already sets the stage for this encounter. That Jesus is, this guy who has everything has come to Jesus, right? He's coming to meet with Jesus. He's righteous He's powerful, he's rich. Here's a truth for you. Do you know that the Bible says as much about Jesus meeting with the rich and powerful as it does with the poor and oppressed? There are as many stories of Jesus meeting with powerful rich men and calling them to the gospel as it is of him meeting with poor people. We only like one side of the story, usually because it's more comfortable in what we're called to do. But every time you see a tax collector, you're talking about a, a millionaire in their culture. Jesus would walk up to them and he would tell them the truth and he would offer them grace. We can't be a Jesus people if we think one side of any person is out of Jesus's message. Yet John spares no details. And when he brings out a specific detail, he's doing it for a reason. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and in John chapter 3, verse 2, it says this, And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus already has heard stories about who Jesus is and the miracles that Jesus performs. And he comes to him and he asks him about him. And this, this little phrase could be nothing, but it's not nothing. It's everything. Because it says this guy comes to Jesus at night. Now the simple answer is that Nicodemus didn't want to be seen. He's a rich, 
powerful dude. He's a member of the Pharisees who by their very teaching oppose who Jesus is. He doesn't want to be seen going to Jesus to meet with him. That's, the, that's probably exactly what happened. But the way John uses the sentence is to project more into the meeting than just a dude who didn't want to get found out that he was going to hear from the other side. Because when he says he came at night, John sandwiches this story between two grand metaphors of light and darkness. And the first one is in John chapter one. The entire opening salvo of John chapter one is a story of light. If you wanna flip back a page or so, you can look at John chapter one, verse four and five. John one, four and five. This is what it says about Jesus. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So the very beginning of the the book, John sets up an epic battle between light and darkness. And he says, Jesus is the light. And when he says the darkness has not overcome it, that's obvious because darkness cannot overcome the light. Light doesn't even have to exert itself. It destroys darkness. You turn on the the smallest, weakest flashlight in a dark room, and it may not light the whole room, but it defeats the darkness around the very small light. That's the nature of light itself. And here, we see this. We see Jesus coming in as the light of the world. He comes in, as he will call himself later, and he steps into it, and John says, the darkness cannot overcome it. In verse nine of chapter one, if you want to go down a couple of verses, he says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So John says, Jesus came into the world to come to people who would receive him and those who receive him would become the children of God. And then he puts in the sentence where he goes, but there's no way you can come to him. Wait, what? So I'm supposed to come to him, but there's no way I can come to him. Notice it says, who are not born of the will or the the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. God has to do this birthing. And it's exactly this message that Jesus will say to Nicodemus. The exact same sentence. So watch the repeating of this notion from John 1 in the story of John 3. Nicodemus comes to him at night. He says, I know you're from God. No one can do the things you do unless God is with them. And then Jesus tells him the truth. And he says this. Jesus answered him in John chapter 3, verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? No, it's not possible. You see, the first thing you're going to have to accept about the truths of Jesus 
is that his truth is not yours. It's foundationally set apart. It's fundamentally set apart. He is God and we are not. What he is is truth. And it will contradict so much about what we think about the world that it will truly be staggering. This passage in John 3 actually launches into one of the most famous passages in the whole Bible. John chapter 3, the discussion with Nicodemus leads to Jesus telling Nicodemus, for God so loves the world that whosoever should come to him shall be granted eternal life. And Nicodemus goes, what are you talking about? Because Nicodemus can only see salvation to the Jews. And Jesus says, nope, it's going to be everybody. And then he says this about the light and the darkness, because he starts talking about light and darkness again. And he says, those who will come to the light will see the light and will become the children of God. The light has come into the world. And then this is what he says. But men love the darkness. The light has come into the world, but men love the darkness. Light, can't, light doesn't, needs no help conquering the darkness. But if we love the darkness, the light won't help us. It can't help us. And the first place that Jesus is going to put before Nicodemus is a notion that he, the ruler of the people, the, the religious, the most religious person that they knew, the most powerful man they knew, that he was going to have to set down everything and realize only God can do this for you. These sort of ideas are foreign to us in a lot of ways because we don't understand uh, the notion of being a Jewish ruler, uh, a people that were selected by God, the, the people of God, and then to be selected as a representative of the people of God and to be so committed to the law that you literally think you hear you are God's voice on the earth. But you can understand Jesus Christ walking up to you one day and going, everything you have has to be undone. Everything. Well, wait, wait a minute. I mean, wait, nah, not everything. You have to be born over. For many in the church, Christianity is a mental ascent toward the traditions of their past. The dominant force in the culture into which they were born here in the South. For many, it's a youth group walk when all your friends will cheer and you get baptized at camp and your mom's mad. And yet Jesus said things like, if you would come after me, you're going to have to take up your cross. It's only in losing your life you're going to find it. This church, the church, in the world, not just in the world, not just in America, but in the world, 
The church will only be the church if it can embrace the truths that Jesus came to tell us. And the first of those truths is you're going to have to be born over and you're going to have to find the light that I extend in my offer of salvation because outside of it, it's the darkness. The more we try to marry into Christianity ideas of the world, ideas of man, and try to give a parameter to the gospel that makes sense for us, that makes it look more palatable, that makes it look easier. Oh, I think this part of Christianity is good. This part's not. The more we are fundamentally rejecting the light and choosing the shadow, trying to sit in as much of the shadow as possible while keeping just a little bit of the light so we can pretend we really see it. And a culture that is drowning in darkness cannot be rescued by a people still choosing the darkness themselves. It is the call of the light which will conquer the darkness. When Jesus asks, when Nicodemus asks him, how can this be true? How can this be, how can this be true? Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Amen is a weird word because it's a Hebrew word. Right? Amen is a Hebrew word that was brought into the Greek lexicon through early Jewish converts to Christianity. It became part of the Christian language. And here the word amen is translated as truly. When Jesus keeps repeating truly in both of these, truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, he is saying the word amen. Amen and amen, I say to you. We use amen as the prayer stopper, right? That's the words you say to get Jesus to bless the prayer. I pray for this food. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Blessing on the food. I can eat it. It will be calorie free. It will not. It will not. The word amen, depending on where it is in the phrase, means something like this. At the start, it would mean something like, it is so. It is so. At the end of a phrase, the way we use it in prayer, it means so be it. So be it. This is true. So truly, truly is a good way of getting that, but it's an emphatic thing. It is so, I am telling you it is so that no one can enter the kingdom unless they are born of the spirit and of water. That's what he says. That the deep truths that Christ came to bring us, the precious truths Christ came to bring us will require of us an unearthing of the deep way the light will continue to pierce the shadows of the heart. Christianity is not hard. It's impossible. And if you've been on the walk long enough, You should have learned by now that redoubling your efforts over and over again doesn't work. You continually have the same sins 
over and over. You're going to give me a recipe to fix that, right? No, there is no recipe. There is a man named Jesus who you come to and you confess and you sit before him your sins and you confess them to him and you ask his forgiveness and you ask the spirit to teach you the truth, to show you the truth of your desires, to show you the truth of your motivations. And I promise you what you unearth will be uglier than the sin you are ashamed of struggling with. I promise you. Because there is no end to the depths of the idolatry we will embrace in our lives. And God, out of love, will root it out He will show us the truth. He will give us a mirror so we can see it. He will give us a plumb line so we can judge it. He will give us a level to see how out of whack we are. And those things speak true. And we can believe them and we can look at them. And as hard as it will be to see how crooked we've built, we will not find the light and peace of life in God we want until we tear it down and start rebuilding in the truth. And that truth is the light of life. The book of John is obsessed with truth. It uses the word more than any other book in the Bible. It's not close. The most famous verses, some of the most famous verses in the Bible come from the book of John and almost every one of them has the word truth in them. If you've been around the Bible uh, much in your life or even if you haven't, you're gonna know some of these. But I want you to see how obsessed John is with presenting Jesus as speaking about the truth. John chapter four, verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. John chapter eight, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and it is the truth that will set you free. In John chapter 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me. We will argue and say, no, 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 no. God's mercy is wider than that. He's bigger than that. It's amazing that we think that, but I don't know, Jesus didn't. John 14, seven, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells in you and will be with you. Christian, the spirit of truth is with you to guide you and instruct you. John chapter 16. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. 
And finally, Jesus' last prayer for you. John records the upper room and positions this as the last prayer of Jesus for his people. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Jesus says, I was sent into the world to tell you the truth. To sit down with the rich and the poor. Tell both of them, stop sinning. And to say to them, here is mercy and truth offered in me. And as I was sent, I am sending you. He has sent us on a mission of grace and truth. Because it's only grace and truth that is Jesus We will only be the people of Jesus if we speak with both grace and truth to the world in which we live. If we want to have discussions about sexual sin in our country and in our culture, we have to speak to it with grace and with truth. If we want to speak about racism, we have to speak with grace and truth. If we want to speak about uh, gender issue, we have to speak with grace and truth. And truth. If we want to talk about poverty, grace and truth. If we want to talk about power, grace and truth. We will never be the people of God without both. Both of those things. And that means accepting hard truths about Christianity in America and extending grace to some of the people who portray perpetrated embrasures of sin. We will not be the church of God when racists stand on the corner and we do not oppose it with the truth that every human life was created by God, is dignified because of that, and that to hate someone because of their skin is an offense to God. But we will also not be speaking the message of Jesus if we don't go to the racist and say, come to Christ and be forgiven. Find the mercy of God. Find the truth of a God who will forgive. And I know that that has a much higher cost for some in the room than for me. I get that. I can't speak to any of that and I won't even pretend to, but I can tell you that Jesus's message is grace and truth and there is no perpetrating the mission of Jesus without it. If we won't go to our culture and speak to sexual sin, it's amazing to me that so many churches are obsessed with the LGBT movement, which is like 5% of the country while unchecked heterosexual sin lives in their body. You want the truth? Here's the truth. The sexually immoral will be judged by God, regardless of its form. But there is grace for you and forgiveness and kindness from God for you. There is a well of compassion in God for those who will repent.
We will not speak to issues of power and oppression in our country unless we speak with grace and truth, realizing that avenues of power have been used to crush people in our country, but also offering grace and kindness to those who have wielded that power. Christianity is gonna cost us everything as it should. The moment now is one of deep crisis. I know you feel it. I know you feel the shaking. I know you feel the culture rumbling. And I can only say that in an earthquake, the only thing you want is a rock. A rock to stand on and a rock to build on. And that rock is Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. Rick's gonna come out. How do we live? How do we live in this? Our Father and God, may your truth reign in us. May it be powerful. May it grasp us. May it shake us. Man or woman who dies content in anything but you has never had the truth shake him to the core. God, grant us truth and grace that we can see your Christ, that we can see our Jesus.